You know, I uh, got to thinking last night, Philip and I have not only known each other, but we've been friends for 36 years, 1982, when we first met. And uh, we've traveled together. We've been to foreign lands like Germany and California <laughs> together. We have slept in cold dungeons for a week. We burned up a rental car. I want to say we got lost in L.A., but the truth of the matter is we get lost everywhere we go. And uh, we both got our phone out, giving directions, and the deal on the car is trying to tell us. But uh, the thing that, that I can, you know, and he was, he was part of our life together before the churches even came together. In fact, he was one of the ones who said, do it, when others said, don't do it. So he got that right. Been good ever since. And the thing that I can say about Philip, if I had to pick one word, it would be integrity. Integrity. And if a man can go to his grave with that written on his headstone, not that I'm prophetic, Philip. He's had a full life. And we've been friends. We don't always disagree. We don't always agree, but we're friends. We're brothers. And it's always my joy to have him come and share with you and minister to you. And so just welcome Philip this morning, if you would. Good morning, guys. <clears throat> oh, thanks. That better? You hear me all right? All right. <clears throat> well, I'm, uh, I have to admit I'm nervous today. <clears throat> I've done this since, gee, 1984, I guess. And uh, I think this is the first time I've been in front of people during a meeting and over two years, I guess, maybe three. And uh, so I was thought I was done, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, but anyway, I've, I'm kind of finding my way back. <clears throat> Several years ago, I did most of my ministry in the States, and uh, then I got to meeting people, and probably the last maybe 15 years of my ministry has been totally out of the country. I rarely did a meeting in the in the states. I'd come here and go to California. That was about it. And uh, so I have to admit, I liked it. You know, I've I've flown. I sat down and added up all my miles I've flown when I was feeling sorry for myself about a month ago. And and uh, I've just flown on three airlines: Delta, United, American. I didn't stay with American long. But I think I had 600,000 miles with American. Delta had a million point six. And United, I don't know how many now, but I've flown over 3 million miles and uh, been in 70, probably 75 countries. And uh, I really liked it. It became part of my life. I got to meet 
interesting people, go places most people never get to go. And uh, my dad did that. I never knew exactly what my dad did, but my dad and one of my uncles is a colonel in the Air Force. I had six uncles that were career soldiers. Uh, three were sergeant majors. <clears throat> one was a colonel, and one was a chief, senior chief, master chief in the Navy. And that was my family. But my dad was always out somewhere in the world and uh, never knew exactly what he did until I started doing this. I actually ran into people overseas that knew my dad. And uh, so that helped, you know, helped a lot. But I, I remember when my dad retired, and uh, he had, I think, 32 years. And uh, he had a tough time. <laughs> and, uh, I thought. Gosh, man, you've been gone most of our life. I would be happy if I were you. But I came to understand what my dad felt because you get to be out in the world, you know, where things happen, where things go on, and sometimes involved in things. And uh, I learned about non-disclosure letters, all that stuff. It's just uh, something I really gave myself to. So <clears throat> all of a sudden that was over. <laughs> And uh, Glenda told me probably three years ago or so, this is hard on you, isn't it? And I said, yeah, Gail, it, it's hard on me, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty much over that. I still kind of miss it. I didn't even renew my passport this last time, and I always got a 50-page passport and filled it up most every year. But, uh, <clears throat> but it, it changed my outlook on life to be out in the world, especially when I started going to Southeast Asia. I've been in Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and uh, you see people with no hope of anything ever being better where you go speak, but yet you see happy people, people who are content and happy and uh, convicting for me when I first started doing that. And because we have so much to be thankful for, even in our state we're in now, we have so much to be thankful for that we live in a country like we live, and uh, it truly is something worth fighting for. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it's confession day for me, but I just want to tell you a couple of stories, things I got into uh, that always stick with me. I used to speak in the, uh, I forget what it was called, but it's, uh, it's a big slum area in Nairobi, Kenya. I think it's a square mile, and garbage piled up so high you can't see down the streets. But I used to speak in a church, I can't remember the name, but the pastor's name was Pastor Philemon. <laughs> and uh, people said that he was responsible for raising over 300 people from the dead. And uh, so I think the third time I went there, I said, Pastor Philemon, do you mind if I ask this morning how many people are here that you've raised from the dead? He said, sure, brother, no problem. And so, so I mean, it was a, a building of sorts, you know. And so I asked, I said, how many of you guys in here this morning have been raised from the dead or someone in your family has been raised from the dead through Pastor Philemon's prayers? I bet 40 people stood up. So uh, we, we, we finished up. I went over to his house for dinner, and I said, Brother, how do you do that? He just looked at me and said, 
Brother Phil, this is not America. We don't have what you have. And uh, I, I ran into people like that all over. One lady I met in, uh, in Thailand, we'd have a leadership meeting every year, and some people in Switzerland fronted it all for us, and uh, we rented a, a, re a resort on the Bay of Thailand, beautiful place. So this, this one year, these people came, this one lady, you know, about this big, and the first, first afternoon, we asked people just to share their testimonies, stuff like that. So this lady got saved out of a torn-out page of a Christian magazine. It didn't even have a Bible for, I don't remember how long. It was over a year, I think. But she was a church planner. So she got to talking about, uh, they had to, uh, she has some Laos. Still very impressive in Laos. They had to sneak out of Laos. And uh, so... They're at the meeting. So she starts giving her testimony, and I'm sitting there looking at this lady, and she would plant churches. And, and they're not, you know, these are house churches and villages, stuff like that. She would stay there until the police got to looking for her. Then they would go someplace else. So right before the meeting, they said about a month before, they were doing uh, planting churches. A young couple traveled with her. And uh, so... People said the police were coming after her, so they took off running. And uh, I think she said they all night through the, through the jungle, they wound up in a cemetery. And uh, she hid under a table, uh, and I don't know where these kids hid. But anyway, the sun came up. The workers from the cemetery showed up. Of course, she witnesses to them. They called the police. And uh, so the police come in, and were going to arrest her. And uh, so she said, do you mind if I pray? Oh, and she, she slept under a table. That's where it was, underneath this table. So she got up, and uh, she said, can I pray before you take us away? So they kind of laughed and said yes. So she said, 45 minutes. In the beginning, she couldn't think of a thing to pray. Never did. She started singing for 40-something minutes. And... Uh, <laughs> They heard this strange cough, you know, just kind of a weird sound, and a dead guy set up in a casket. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know, man, about that one, you know. And uh, so these kids said, we're witness to this. We saw that happen. And I thought, man, if that wouldn't make a Christian out of you, I don't know what would. You know, what would it take? And uh, so I met people like that. And... Uh, Convicting for me, changed the way I looked at life. But here I was, this lady brought my breakfast to me every morning for two weeks. And it was just, just really hard for me, you know? I mean, I've never done anything like that. It happens in the States, but it's not that common. Guys, we don't want to go there where it has to be something that happens 300 times in Micah's ministry. We don't want to be that country. <laughs> Two things I think about things that I need to be careful because I don't want to wait another three years to have another meeting, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> you guys are great with your music. Most of those were songs you wrote, right, this morning, which I think is awesome, you know, and uh, the words you guys have for people, 
mean, I don't really need to come and minister to people. You do that as well as I do. And, uh, but overall, contemporary prophetic ministry is a dismal failure. And I remember when, uh, when I started doing this, the Lord said two things to me that I'll never forget. Never go to Central America. I've never been. And never mess with people's hope. If you don't know, say, I don't know. <laughs> so, and all this stuff, we've messed with people's hope. You know? And uh, if we speak the word of the Lord, then let's speak the word of the Lord. Let's not be court prophets. Let's not be feel-good prophets. Because that doesn't help people at all. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, this year, could we have foresight? But Lord, could we have insight into what we see and what you show us? And Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that we could touch people in such a way that it would change our country. And God, let it change the future of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We need that. How it's going to happen, I don't know. I have to say I don't know. The Lord spoke to me clearly about the last presidential election. I hadn't heard anything lately, <laughs> you know, and I kind of wish he hadn't spoke to me about the other one, to be honest, because I lost lots of friends over that. But that's terrible to do that, you know. It's terrible to lose friends over arguing about a government and who's who in the zoo, it just will not last. The governments of this world won't last. They're temporal at best. So how should we anybody involved governmentally in the kingdom of God? That's a government that lasts and lasts and lasts. And if we're going to give our energy to a governmental structure, let it be God's kingdom, because he is the Lord of the rulers of the earth. And as we begin to, to, to focus on that and give our allegiance, it does say in the Bible, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly await a Savior, Jesus Christ. As that is our hope. That is the blessed hope we have of eternity in heaven with Jesus, his Father, and the Holy Spirit, and a host of other people. Does that make sense? So let us be involved in that government, and that government will affect other governments. Does that make sense? That's kind of where I'm at with all that. I never was involved in politics in the States, but I was overseas a lot, and uh, my I don't know where I'm at on that. Guys, if we're going to mess, let's put our energy into the people who vote. Because in a country like ours, that's where the real power is. And where our problems are of our own making. Does, do, you, do you see that? Do you feel that? So, Lord, let, us, let the kingdom of God affect people and the way they live to such a degree that they'll know the right way to vote, that they'll know the right person to vote for. 
that they'll be influential just because of who they are, not because of what they do. All right, so <laughs> uh, I hope I'm back before three years. But I can't help it if I'm right. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, my old hearing aid croaked about two weeks ago. I got a great set of hearing aids. But for some reason this morning, they won't link up to my phone, so I have no control over my brand-new, very expensive hearing aids. So <clears throat> I've carried this thing. This is a second or third-generation iPad. I don't know how many times it's been around the world. It's not working today. It's never failed me. So my wife said, you better make a hard copy of that just in case nothing happens. This is the first hard copy I've ever made of anything since I've carried this iPad. But today it's 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 just not working. So I'm gonna read just read this. This has kind of been a life scripture for me for the last two years. Because we've all been through lots of things. You guys know a lot about me and I know a lot about you. And we're here today because of God's grace. That's the only way to describe most of us over the last few years. You for sure, bud. You shouldn't even be here. You know, you shouldn't be here, but you're here. That's pretty awesome. And that's why your music is so great. Because it comes from out from an impossibility. But it became something very possible. And you're not done with that yet, huh? So this is a very familiar scripture, Psalms twenty three, but I don't know what time it is. It, all right, 30 minutes. <clears throat> I'm going to read it and then just kind of tell you what I think about this, kind of where I've been with this, how I've walked through this the last couple of years. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, we teach this to our kids as a, in an entirely different way, but this was a personal confession and proclamation by David about his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. We all need to have that positive confession of faith that the Lord is our shepherd. We don't know much about shepherds. I know a little bit about it because Glenda's dad had sheep when we were, right when we were married. You lead sheep, you drive cattle. And a big difference, you know. But sheep are dependent on the shepherd because they have nothing without him. Guys, can I tell you, we have nothing without this shepherd, this man we know. So the Lord is, the Lord is our shepherd, true. But guys, we need to have a time, a place in our life where we can look in the mirror and say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. I started doing this in 1983 or four. I don't remember. And uh, I was a railroad conductor and not a bad job and <clears throat> had 28 years in. And uh, But we felt like this is what we should do. So I left, you know, two years before... Like every other pension, it gets bigger and better the last four or five years you are. And uh, so 
we just felt like that's what we should do. Glenda was a cost accountant at Johns Manville, and uh, she came in one afternoon after work, and she said, I quit my job today. She'd been here 20 years. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> you know, she said, I just felt like the Lord told me to do that. So that's been us for all these years. And uh, never had a big ministry. Tried that for a while and really decided this is not for me. I just couldn't deal with that. And I had a guy ask me that works on my truck one time. Who a friend of mine told, about, told him about me and what I did. He said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, man. He said, who signs your check? And I said, lots of people. Lots of people that we've ministered to, have ministered to, that we've had contact with, that we've been part of people's lives for 30 years. That's who signs my check. And it's always been that way. And that scares me, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to mess with people's hope. Because there's only one hope, and that is we have this hope which is an anchor to our soul. And it's not a what, it's a who. And that who is my shepherd. Uh, early on, we were in the shepherding movement. That's where I got saved for a few years. And probably a guy who, if I ever wanted to be like a, a mortal man, it would be, I'd like to be like Derek Prince. He's influenced me more than any other person in how I see the Bible and how I see the world. And uh, he believed in, in proclamation. And before he would do a meeting, he would start off proclaiming a scripture. And when his wife was with him, they would do it together. So Glenda and I got into that where we would proclaim the scripture. This is a great proclamation to stand up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <clears throat> Then it says, he makes me lay down in green pastures. <clears throat> he makes me. <laughs> the shepherd has control of the sheep, right? And we live in a time, I mean, the busier you are, the better you are, but you just need to rest sometimes. And sometimes instead of straining to make things happen, wait till something happens. That's been a tough one for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <clears throat> he leads me beside still waters. Have you ever told one of your kids or had your mom and dad say, listen, Micah, that water's too fast for you. You don't need to get into that. You know, there's a lot of fast water, fast-moving things that we just don't need to get into because he leads us beside what? Still waters, and still waters run deep, right? But he leads us. Can I? How easy is it, is it for you to be led? You know, just to be honest, I think independence is just an American notion because we weren't created to be independent. We were created by God to be interdependent. Nobody can make it on their own because we're a body, and my body is totally dependent on every other part of it. And when it's not functioning, my whole body knows that that part's not doing its job. Guys, we're the same way. 
We may not recognize it, may not think about it, but we can never do away with the truth that we are his body and individually members of it, and each part belongs to the other. So I'm very concerned about what you do with your part, and you should be concerned about mine. It's a self-correcting body if we give ourselves to accountability and covenant and community and family. A healthy family heals itself, right? Absolutely. Let's say it together. A healthy family heals itself if I just stay with it. I was an only child, grew up in the military, and uh, was around a lot. And Glenda comes from a big farming family, and I married the oldest girl in it. It nearly killed me. So we finally moved out on the farm, and you could not escape these people. You know, that if you don't show up at, at Glenda's dad for, for lunch on Sunday back then, everybody ate unless you were working at his house on Sunday. You guys okay? Why aren't you coming up for dinner? We haven't seen you out today. I said, just leave me alone, please. You know, I grew up not having to be accountable for anything I did. You know, I just did what I did. But guys, that's not godly. Because we're interdependent. We're part of a something. And each of us has a very important part in that body we affect the overall health of the body. Does that make sense? So we need to be accountable. I learned that in this. He leads them beside quiet waters, still waters, and they run deep. He restores my soul. What did Jesus come to save? Our soul, right? Our soul is capable of, of just unimaginable good, but it's capable of unimaginable evil soulish things. And I think I think this is where our soul is, right about here. Exercise physiologist says this is a center of gravity for our body. So strong core muscles, you can tell mine are nearly 80 years old, but strong core muscles, the body has integrity. And integrity means it does what it's designed to do, structural integrity. A church's integrity rests in its doing what it's called to do. Does that make sense? So God restores my soul from a lot of things. This, these last two years, just not to count the, what's happened to our country, but what, what people have gone through and endured. I lost my son in these last two years, my oldest son. This has been some very hard times, not just for me, but for everyone. Thank God that he will restore our soul. And I think that word restored has the meaning of takes it back to the beginning. Being married to an accountant is tough. But I found out something about accountants. They're a lot like bankers. If you can't give them money, give them paperwork. They love both. <laughs> but we were talking about reconciliation one time, and she said, you can't reconcile somebody's books 
unless you can go back to the very first entry in those books. That's true reconciliation to go back to the beginning of that account and reconcile it all the way to today. Aren't you glad he reconciles our life for us? He restores our soul. And if we'll let him, and if we'll be honest, and, we'll, and if we embrace that, it will, he will reset our souls to what they should be. Because your soul is you. And you feel things different here than you do anywhere else. I mean, you feel things here. Sometimes you hear something, that you feel it here. But you feel things here that are very deep. You ever felt that just for a second? Just this feeling right here. <clears throat> That's our soul. That's why I think it's so important that we yield ourselves to family and to relationship. Because you can't do that by yourself. Self selfishness is soulishness. So next thing he guides me in the paths of righteousness. My definition of righteousness is doing what's right according to God's word. That's righteousness. That's rightness. <clears throat> so he leads me in paths of righteousness. <clears throat> I, re- I worked for my father-in-law, you know, the whole time I was out, lived on the farm 20-something years, 28 or 9, I don't remember but I ran the cattle. I wasn't a great horseman or a great cattle guy, but I learned a lot. And uh, you can see these narrow little paths all over a pasture of where these cows walk all the time. Guys, our path is a narrow path. But someone walked it before us. In fact, a host of people have walked that path. But it's a narrow way. It's a narrow path. Straight is the way, and what? Narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it, because it's narrow. It's confining in a way, but that's a good thing. It's like a train running on tracks. Everything works as long as it's on tracks, because that's where it was designed to work. But get off the tracks, it's a train wreck, right? You get your life off the path, it's a train wreck for you too. Does that make sense? Let's say it together. It's a narrow path. It's not a broad way, it's a narrow way. So he guides me. A guide is somebody who's been there and done that and can explain it all to you. Point things out that you'd never know unless you had a guide with you when you're going someplace that you've not been before. Paths of righteousness, rightness, for his namesake, not to make you famous, not to make you rich, but for his name, for his namesake, for the sake of his name, we do these things. And if you become famous and rich, that's great, but that's not the motivation. The motivation is to walk this path and to stay on this path, and to have people that knows you well enough. We've had good days. We've had bad days, you know, but we kept on the path. That's just the way it is. Don't make friends just because they believe everything you do. 
I've never made friends over politics or doctrine because they change. They never stay the same. And your pool of friends won't stay the same either if that's how you make your friendships. So, for his name's sake, Lord, could we do what we do for the sake of your name? Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I think it was... uh, I was in Zurich, Switzerland, I don't know how many, several years ago. I woke up one morning just feeling weird, you know, just, and I've been, I was a runner most of my life, and uh, wasn't the best, but I was up there. I could do pretty good in the mile until I was in my late 50s in master's track. So I've always had this habit, I bet you do it too, Steve. You check your pulse right there. That's how you do it. So I felt of it. I couldn't find a pulse. I mean, and I've done that enough to know if I can find one or not. And I'm thinking, I'm dead, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, so, but I was alive, but I couldn't find my pulse. And uh, so I called this friend of mine who's a doctor, and uh, she said, uh, I think I know your problem. Why don't you let me put you in the hospital? And I said, nope. If I'm going to croak, it's going to be trying to get home. It's not going to be in Switzerland. So anyway, I, my heart went into AFib, and... Uh, I had the first of, I don't know how many uh, inversions. So set that back. So my doctor, as I started seeing, still seeing, great guy, he said, what do you do? And I told him, and he said, I don't know, man. He said, this can be bad if you get somewhere you really can't get out. And uh, so, you know, didn't faze me. I kept doing it. And... uh, I've had, I don't know how many inversions I had, but it always happened except two times in a different country. So long story short, the problem with my heart is on the outside of my heart that causes this AFib because it just, I mean, finally, I think I've just ran the limit on how many times you can have an inversion. And uh, so anyway, he said to fix that would just be too big a deal for you to go through. So now I've got a pacemaker right here. I still have the same problem, but my pacemaker regulates my heartbeat. Because if I have an uh, electrocardiogram, it still shows I've got this problem. But this, this controls the beat of my heart. And uh, so anyway, he said, you can't leave the country anymore with this thing. It's just too dangerous for you. So, you know, I was done before covid but probably if it wasn't been for COVID, I'd probably still be out there doing stuff, you know. So, but he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, <clears throat> a valley is, uh, I've been there where David wrote this psalm was in the, the valley of Gihon. I think it's literally the valley of El. And he was going through this valley after Absalom took over the kingship in Israel, and David was out going for his life. That's when he wrote this. And and most valleys are dark, damp, I mean, just not comfortable places. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a shadow is just a reflection of something that blocks off light. Lots of our problems can block us from light, right? And we get in those places, the temptation is not to walk. 
But life is lived this way, not back that way. There's no life back here. And if you're the type of person that things happen to you, like my son, I know lots of people who's been through that, they never get past that day. And yesterday becomes the only day that's on their calendar. And that's not us. I think, I think if we give ourselves to this, life itself is designed in such a way that it pulls us forward. You've really got to fight that to go back or just to say, I'm done, that's it. I'm not moving from here. <clears throat> life draws us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, that casts a... A shadow in my life. I've had cancer three times. <clears throat> you know, that's that's a shadow you still walk with. Finding out your son's dead on Christmas morning, and I got down to his house about the time they were taking him out of his house. Didn't get to say goodbye. That's a shadow. But it's not a stopping place. We honor the people who pass this in our life by living our life, by improving our life. And yeah, does it hurt? Yeah, his birthday was right before Christmas. That's a bad day for me. But we're going this way. We're not going back that way. And uh, one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me was the night before I found out he died, I had a dream. <clears throat> and uh, most of my dreams are literal. I don't have that many, but if it, I dream it, it happens. And uh, so I had this dream. Glenda's family has a cemetery down in Weston between uh, Salina and McKinney. <clears throat> it's a family cemetery. I've done just about everybody's funeral there, and there's this one really big tree in this cemetery. Well, in this dream, I was standing under that <coughs> under that tree, and I was doing my son's funeral. And I woke up about 5 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock that morning, a friend of mine called. He said, I'm sorry to hear about Scott. And I said, what about Scott? And uh, <coughs> I've been waiting for a headstone for months. It still can't get it to probably April. That's right under that tree is where that's going to be. Do I understand stuff like that? No. God's revelation, sometimes you see things you wish you'd never seen. And I've had lots of things like that. But it's not a stopping place. Why? Because we're still alive and life was created to live, and it's that way, not this way. So lots of things can happen in life. Bad things, somebody you love dies, somebody you love gets sick, horrible stuff, you know, but what do you have to do? You have to live your life, and you have to learn to walk this path. It is confining. You're probably never going to escape thinking about those things. I don't think that's possible. That's, that's just me, but I think those things are ever with you. But you have to keep walking. Even though I walk 
through this valley with these shadows cast over me by things that's happened to me in my life. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How many people do you know that are still scared silly over all that's going on in our country? Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. They're incompatible. You can't have them both except the fear of the Lord. All right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. That's a good one. I think I've been in uh, one 9.1 earthquake with a tsunami down in Samoa. I've been in two 7.6 earthquakes, and I don't know how many more. And uh, I, I have to say, in none of those, I didn't get scared. I guess things happen that fast, you don't have time to get scared. But... Uh, Lots of things like that happened to me. I've had, <laughs> I've had so many of my friends, probably four that I know of, that I took with me someplace. When I got, when we got back home, they say I'm never doing this again. So one of them right there, <laughs> and another one was a, a, a friend whose name was Lord Tyson. I nearly, I nearly killed Lord a couple of times, and he said, "Don't ever ask me to go out of the country with you again." I had a, I had a friend uh, who. <laughs> who was a, on the board of directors of the Deutsche Bank. And uh, I don't know, we just met in a meeting. I had a word for him, and we became friends. So I was doing a meeting in Heidelberg, and <laughs> Lloyd was with me, and we'd already had some really traumatic experiences, and he was kind of wearing thin. So my friend, we were going to spend a weekend with him and look around Frankfurt and do stuff, so... He picks us up at, uh, at Heidelberg, has a, what is the big Mercedes sedan, 450, 550, one of those. He has that, so we get in the car, get out on the Autobahn, orders pizza for us in Frankfurt. And uh, finally, Lloyd just laid down in the back seat. He couldn't look out the window anymore because there's no speed limit on the Autobahn. And uh, so we get there, get our pizza, and uh, next morning we get up, and, he come, and my friend comes in and says, hey, Philip, something came up. I've got to go to a board meeting, and I'm not going to be here all weekend. So if you want to go home, it, it, you, you know, no problem for me. So I called you in uh, Delta, and uh, he, I couldn't get a flight. So I told him, he said, what airline? And I said, Delta. So about 15 minutes later, he said, I got you a business class seat with Delta, and I couldn't do that for Lloyd. <laughs> I was in something like... 5A, and he was in something like 32B or something. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so anyway, we get to the airport running late. We got privilege at the port, and but Lloyd didn't understand those things. So we're heading down to the gate, and uh, he's still standing up at the entrance waiting for somebody to shoot us, you know. So we get back to DFW. He said, that's it. Never invite me on another trip, so... Kind of my life. All right, I'm going to finish this. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The rod is correction. Got to deal with that. And the staff is comfort. I've still got my cow cane. I don't know who I'm going to give it to. 
You prepare a table before me in the, in the presence of my enemies. Guys, stuff happens out there. He provides nourishment. He provides for us where? In the presence of our enemies. You can't get away from that. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we are God's house, right? We are in his house today, but it's not a house made of bricks and mortar. It's a house made of flesh and blood. Believe that with all my heart. Brother, would you stand? Let's go right there. Your hands crossed. Yeah. Yeah. First time I looked at you this morning, I felt like the Lord said, this is a fish out of water. And uh, I think the Lord's going to put you in a still, well, he has a still stream, still waters. And uh, that water's going to run deep for you, brother. And uh, this is kind of how I see time. Three times five is 15. The next three years will make up for 15 years of your life. And uh, you'll find yourself in a better place than you ever thought. But walk this path. Walk this path. Stay on it. Can I see your hands? Lord, I pray you'd anoint these hands to be delivering hands that would deliver people from difficult lives, from difficult things. Lord, I pray that one of would place his hands on a man given to violence, that men would be healed of their violent ways. And Lord, I pray you'd give him the loving hands of a father. Yeah, that that would be the mark of this man. And Lord, I pray you'd increase this gift of music and this gift of hearing and audible things. Yeah, I can't explain it any better than that. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Bless you, brother. <clears throat> All right. I think I've probably gone along too long. So I love you guys. I'm really glad to be back. And uh, really glad this, don't you guys stand up? I think I've known, this is Daryl and Susan uh, Code. I've known them since 1984 or 5, something like that. And uh, I treasure that. Lord, I pray that uh, 2022 and 2023, yeah, just like Psalms 126, when the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us. And our hearts were filled with joy. Lord, let that be 2022 and 2023 for these guys. And uh, can I see your hands, Daryl? <clears throat> Daryl's a musician, touchy-feely guy. Uh, <laughs> don't throw me in a room with musicians, intercessors, and prophetic people. Just please, God, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Lord, I pray this couple over their dinner table, over their coffee table, and in this big room in their house. Lord, let them see people's lives changed. Lord, let them see families come together. And let, let, let estranged children find their way back home uh, through their ministry and through, their, through the time they invest. And this is just kind of how I hear this. Uh, time will be your servant. You won't be the servant of time. Time is... The Lord's bringing you to that place, both of you. And uh, 
Amen. Bless you guys. One more, more thing. And Lord, I pray for things they've invested in they've just forgotten. Lord, I pray those things would return and a, a, a return on their investments in whatever they are, be it people, money, or whatever, in Jesus' name. Just stand, brother, guy in a black T-shirt. Yeah, looking over your shoulder. That's you. <laughs> Why don't you stand up, huh? Tell me your name, brother. Tony. I thought I heard that. Raise your hands, Tony. Let me look at your hands. Kind of weird, but I can tell a lot by looking at people's hands. <clears throat> yeah. I see like you're out on a job site. You can see things and then build them. And I think that's just a gift from God. You can see invisible things and put it together in such a way that people could live in it, people could use it, people could drive in it, whatever. And can I see your hands again? I'm going to say the same thing to you. I said it this guy here, because you're around a lot of men all day. Some of these are good guys. Some of these are bad guys. So I pray when this man puts his hand on a bad man with a bad past, that he'll see men all through his life, not every time but enough time for him to know he's called to change the directions of bad men's lives. And, Lord, I pray, like I see you going in and out of a jail, and, uh, Lord, I pray that he'd be able to go in to those situations and bring some men out of those situations. Yeah, and, Lord, I pray you'd increase his business. Yeah, increase his business, Lord. And, uh, yeah, promises made to him. Lord, I pray that... uh, You'd put the fear of God into people who's made promises to him they've never kept. And, Lord, I pray that this would be a season of promises being fulfilled in Jesus' name. Bless you, brother. Man, would you stand, lady, right here? Yeah. Oh, you you guys are together. (laughs) Guys, I learned that the old-fashioned way. (laughs) Thou shalt never assume just because somebody is sitting by somebody is not their wife, you know. And, uh... Can I see your hands? This is a loving lady, this is a caring lady to her own fault. And she's suffered for that, huh? Lots of times. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring that, yeah, under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that when she invests her time into someone, it won't be time wasted. And I uh, see little babies around you, little kids. Lord, I pray that she would be a gift of life to those who are doomed to die an early death because of the family situation that they've been born into. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray she can sleep at night and that she could take a nap during the daytime if that's what she wants to do. And Lord, I pray you touch her back. And uh, brother, would you put your hand right here on your wife's stomach? Yeah. Lord, I pray you touch her digestion of her food, Lord. It should heal her from all those things that are Troublesome things, not serious things, but things that just take you out of the race. Yeah, in Jesus' name. And Lord, could we, uh, guys, reach your hand out to these two? Lord, we just speak a blessing over these guys. Lord, could they be blessed in their lives, their marriage, their bodies, their finances, and their families? And Lord, I pray that people who would normally resist them would give favor to them. Lord, all in this year to come and the year after. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Bless you, brother. All righty. I'm done. You guys are good. Lord, I pray you'd increase the gift of revelation in Grace Covenant Church, that they'd have foresight, insight, like the men of Issachar who could 
used a sword with the right or left hand who knew what to do in the times that they were in. Lord, I pray that would be Micah and Joni. And uh, yeah, Lord, I pray they would know what to do instead of having just to sit all the time and wonder what to do. Lord, I pray they would know what to do in Jesus' name. And uh, Lord, I want to pray for my friend Murray McMurray. Murray's a pastor of Thackerville, and uh, I've talked about him. I've talked about him all over the world. This guy is a pastor. I've never met one quite like Murray McMurray. He could be the mayor of several cities in southern Oklahoma. He does weddings. He does funerals. He's involved in everything, but this is a caring guy. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, mean, I know a lot about Murray. He knows a lot about me. But uh, I think the Lord's freed you up, and I think he's going to free Pam up next year, and you're going to be free to do what's really in your heart to do, Murray, without the bonds of church stuff. You know what I mean? And you guys reach your hand out. And I just think if you guys have anything for Murray, I just share it with him, would you? Lord, I pray you touch Murray McMurray's body. Yeah, and Lord, he would possess his body, and he would possess his soul, and his body would not possess him, or his soul would not possess him. And Lord, I pray you would increase this caring, loving heart, and this man, my friend, Murray McMurray, in Jesus' name, amen. All righty, well, bless you guys. Great to see you. Amen. That's good. I want to ask you to put Philip on your prayer list. He and his wife, the Lord will just give him strength, continue to do what he calls him to do. And uh, thank you, brother, for sharing with us today. Good word. Anybody else have any announcements before we go?